Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. Hello, my name is Dr. Michael Corrin, and I have the pleasure of being the moderator for our Med Evidence Hour. Uh, usually, I'm on the other side of the microphone, but today I have the great pleasure of having a tremendous guest who's actually going to do all the hard work while I, I just ask, ask the questions. And, and next to me, I have Adrian Roda, who is a nurse practitioner. Uh, she works here in Jacksonville, Florida. She's trained at uh, Jacksonville University, and she's somebody I've actually known for a long time because I know her dad. And what we're going to explore today is how we train the next generation on getting involved in clinical research. And what are the characteristics that make somebody good at research? What are the characteristics that make people interested in research? And how we can communicate the power of what we learn in research to the general public. And uh, young, vibrant, smart people like you are part of that. And we need to develop this next generation. And I'd like for you to share with everybody sort of your journey to become involved in clinical research and what your thoughts are for the future and what you thought was cool about it and what you can maybe turn you off so that we can do better next time. But just tell your story. And and before I, I let you speak, uh, and uh, I, I teased you there by uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe allowing you to speak, but before I just want to mention that um, I met your dad probably about 20 years ago. He kind of reached out to me, as a matter of fact, and uh, he was interested in research and heard some of the things that I was doing. And uh, when I first met him, I can see characteristics that were fabulous for a research person and really intriguing characteristics that I'll get into more in a little bit. But from the first time I met him till now, I, I find him to be a delight. He has a level of intellectual curiosity that is so important in a good researcher. And he's not afraid to ask questions and, and then accept the answers for what they're worth. And if he doesn't like the answers, he'll ask other questions to see whether or not he needs to change his hypothesis or go to a different one. So we're gonna, we'll talk much more about that in a second. But first, uh, you know, tell us about you a little bit more. Tell us about what you first remember in terms of your exposure to research and maybe um, share some stories as a little kid uh, growing up with a, a neat dad. So I grew up with a mother who's a nurse and a father who is an ophthalmologist, and I think that really helped shape who I am today and how I went through school and chose my path in medicine. Um, as a child in middle school, I saw the show Trauma Life in the ER, and it got me very excited about the fast-paced medicine, blood and guts. It was exciting. Things were happening very quickly. Um, my dad helped guide me into candy striping when that's what it was called back in the day at the hospital. I'd volunteer. What do they call it? Candy striping. I don't know. That's the smock was red and white and that's what I wore. Did you, did you give out candy to the patients? I did not. I did not. So I do not think it's called that anymore. But back in the day, small town in Florida, um, I was involved in that in high school. Um, and then I shadowed many mid-levels, which we call them advanced practice providers today, APPs. Um, and it helped shape me going to nursing school and the nursing route. I liked the... Um, I like the career path of 
being a mid-level and that I could be a nurse and then get exposure to maybe what I'd want to specialize in. So after nursing school, I started writing an intensive care unit. And then after graduate school, again, I went right into intensive care. Um, Through the years, I've heard of Dr. Korn and my dad's involvement in research. He always had wonderful things to say. He liked the staff. The patients were pleasant. They were there voluntarily. Um, And an opportunity arose for me to get my hands wet and doing some research. And so I've been there for about three months now and I've really enjoyed it. I think that in grad school, they talk a lot about papers and research, but they don't talk about the hands-on approach that a provider can be involved in. So I've really enjoyed taking my time, meeting with each patient. You don't feel rushed in the ICU. Patients don't often talk to you. So I've enjoyed getting to build a relationship um, with these patients. And they're happy to talk to you. They're happy to be there. They want to be involved in research, and they want to help in any way that they can. Wow. That's a very, very intense statement, and I appreciate that. And I have so many questions um, that, that, that generated. So just a little bit more background for me to understand. So. Was your mom a clinical nurse while you were growing up? She was. Uh-huh. She worked in um, a PACU. I see. Okay, so up. she was She was also doing some intense stuff when you were growing mm-hmm. up. Did you uh, ever go to work with her? I didn't, but I did shadow my dad uh-huh. um, watching some cataract surgeries, and I ended up in an ortho room. After watching Trauma Life in the ER, I wanted the excitement, and I think, you know, eye surgery is is not as blood and guts. And Mm -hmm. so even ortho wasn't at the time. So I really volunteered in the ER. Mm -hmm. And so when a local, when a physician would do a Mm -hmm. procedure, they'd let me watch and, um, interesting. Yeah. So, so the the other interesting thing, um, is you, you talk about blood and guts and Mm -hmm. want to do action and and the adrenaline rush and all that. And, Mm -hmm. and that's typical of a surgical specialty. It is. And, in research, it's more sort of intellectual and communication. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you say that because I had the same dichotomy when I was training. So I, I, I didn't grow up in a medical family at all. In fact, I don't think I met a doctor until I went to medical school. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a little bit of a happenstance that I ended up in medical school. But uh, when I got there, my favorite uh, clerkship was actually surgery. Mm-hmm. And I got to do surgery at Mass General Hospital as a medical student which was really, really cool. And I met some really, really neat people and I, and I loved it. And they, they liked me. I, I got an honors grade in it, which was pretty hard to get. Mm-hmm. And I was excited about that. And they were interested to know if I would be a surgeon. But there's also part of me that was so interested in just asking questions and analyzing. And I realized that if you're going to work so hard on developing your hands and, and your surgical skills, that there may be less time to ask and answer questions. So I ultimately decided to do cardiology, which has some of that action elements, but also has some of those intellectual things. Uh, It was very, very rich in epidemiological questions and other things that can be asked and then answered through data collection. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a dichotomy, but both you and I show you can do both. Yeah. And uh, it's funny how your paths can, can bring you to a place that uh, accommodates different parts of your brain and exactly. different and, and different parts of what you like to do. So, so, but let's also focus on the communication. You're an excellent communicator. Mm-hmm. And so how, how'd you develop those skills? And, and is, is that important to you? And, and give some examples maybe in your day to day, how you, 
how you deploy those skills? So currently I work in a neurointensive care unit and part of our jobs as APPs in the program is to go down to any strokes that any patient in the hospital we think is having a stroke. And so you have to get information that you need and you need to get it quickly and um, you need to get it accurately. So you have to delegate and everything has to be done quickly and you have to provide the right information to the right surgeon attending. And so I think that that fast pace of telling who I need to get information to um, kind of correlates into what I do now and kind of redirecting because patients love to talk there. And in the study I'm helping with in research right now, most of the patients are retired. So they have all the time to share their stories and try and remember what disease process started when. So I think that kind of my critical care medicine and being able to tease out information that I need and kind of cut people off in a, in a polite way to get what the information I need immediately can help translate to what I'm doing now. Yeah. That's a really, really important skill. The skill of letting people feel they're communicating and saying something, but Mm -hmm. they tend to get off track very easily. So you got to kind of bring them back on track without Mm -hmm. being rude which uh, not very many people can do very well. It's an art (laughs) skill in medicine. And it's the, another thing I like about research is that, you know, I've not worked in family practice, but you know, you have a time limit and I feel that I have a lot of time. I don't feel rushed with the patients Mm -hmm. that I work with in research. And so you do have to kind of pull them back in at times, but still I have the time to listen to a couple stories and let them speak. No. So I love that point uh, from a number of standpoints. First, it's what people are really looking for in healthcare now. Yeah. They, they won't want you where they're in systems that are just asking them for bits and pieces of data and they want to tell their stories yeah. and they don't get a chance to tell their stories and mm-hmm. it's incredibly frustrating and they, they, they feel unheard when they're in the hospitals and other places because they can't tell their stories. Right. So I, the fact that we have the research uh, venue to allow people to do that, I think is very, very powerful. And, and one of the reasons why people enjoy research and my oft quoted statistic is that 99% of people that do research studies with us will do a second study mm-hmm. because we listen to them. Yeah, we have the time. It's, it's very enjoyable. We listen to them. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, of course, is there's a regulatory reason for that because as you know, when we do FDA uh, supervised studies, we have to report all the side effects in the study, whether or not we think it's related to the medication that we're studying or the process that we're studying. Right. So literally you know, people say, yeah, I get this funny itch behind my ear when I when I eat bananas, mm-hmm. and and you'll like write it down, yeah. and they'll say, "Wow, uh, did I say something important?" I'm important. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and again, who knows if that is actually relevant? But if if one person in Northeast Florida were to say that that was a side effect of their uh, of their Alzheimer's drug, well, maybe we make nothing of it. But if we have a hundred people in different parts of the world that making the same crazy observation, well, it's probably something. Right. And that's the power of doing multi-centered research is that sometimes crazy random things actually cluster, which gives us an insight that we would get no other way. So it's a pretty cool part of what we do. And also a reminder of the international nature of what we right. do. So um, we're going to end this session with that thought. Okay. But I'm going to play off of that because um, I have my business in Northeast Florida and your dad was from more Central West Florida in a very rural area, which I consider maybe even uh, international outreach. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of MedEvidence, the truth behind the data. 